Welcome to Smart Trader, your insight into the world of oil trading, which lately has been shaken up in the US by the cyber attack on the massive colonial oil pipeline. The first of its kind outside of overt military attacks. So how vulnerable is US and global energy supply to further attacks? To what extent will this event change contingency planning and attitudes towards protectionist laws that in effect limit fuel imports into the US like the Jones Act. I'm Gavin Serkin, Managing Editor of New Markets Media and Intelligence. And here to discuss these issues and more is Florian Thaler, the CEO of OilX, a company that Florian co-founded to track, monitor and analyze global oil flows and related data and intelligence. And joining us from Inatech, the experts in oil trading and marine risk management systems, we have our show host, Captain Alok Sharma, Senior Vice President at Inatech, and Patrick Hayes, Vice President for the Americas at Inatech. Now, before I hand over to our Captain Alok, I've just got to ask you, Patrick, you're facing me on Zoom wearing a garment I haven't seen in at least a year and a half. Dangling from your crisp white shirt collar is a lanyard. You're actually at a conference. Of course, it's an oil conference and where else other than in Texas at the JW Merritt Hotel in downtown San Antonio. How's it going there? I'm guessing people are sort of surprised to find themselves back at a physical event. Everyone's walking around not knowing if they should put the full mask on or let let their nose show or take it off completely. Some of them are walking around hanging off a hanging off of one ear just in case they need to cover their mouth. But uh, as I was saying, about 400 people here and easily 95% are walking without a mask. And you walk up, you don't know if you're supposed to stay six feet, three feet, shake a hand, hit an elbow. But um, yeah, that was yesterday. Today, everyone's, I mean, I'm seeing people hug each other and shake hands. So uh, it feels like it's gone. I know it's not, but I mean, it's, it's completely different down here in Texas. Alok, over to you. From a kind of context point of view, as we said, two sort of themes that we can take. I mean, the, the market is very optimistic, right? I mean, if you look at where crude oil is right now, we're at 69 uh, so thereabouts. And, uh, you know, WTI is 67, 68, which is, I mean, considering that no one has really substantively started driving or flying or anything of that sort. And, you know, you couple in with all this kind of bad news that's coming out, it kind of makes me think that maybe bad news is good news. I mean, I don't know, right? <laughs> what is, <laughs> because you had the cyber attacks. And nothing happened with oil. You know, the forecasts are very rosy, but we haven't seen the real demand yet. So I'm kind of scratching my head and thinking, you know, if it's at 68 now, where could it go when the demand really kicks in, which is probably Q3, Q4? You know, the weather in Houston, you know, the kind of cyber attack now, these set pieces are basically pointing to one thing, which is 
you know, the infrastructure is uh, is is creaking a bit and vulnerable. And we know that at least the Biden administration isn't going to jump for joy, pumping in millions into into the oil industry. Uh, they've, I think, they've blocked up uh, some. Uh, they, they they blocked the pipeline, didn't they? They blocked uh, Keystone. So what gives, right? How do you reconcile these two things? I can give you my two two cents on on, on it. In this, I, I feel the the factors that we are witnessing uh, recently in the oil supply chains are mostly exogenous factors. Like um, the freeze off in, in the US are are um, a bit unfortunate in the sense that the infrastructure just hasn't been dealing with it, with such a problem before. I mean, if you if the same would happen in in Finland, they would probably have a laugh and they would just carry on as, as usual. Um, and if you have in the London airport, if you have uh, one inch of snow and everything is blocked and Helsinki can live with a meter of snow. So um, I think it's, it's, it's getting used to the, to the weather one um, and that might come back. And I think the companies will make preparations and, and we'll learn from it. We certainly have heard from, from companies making adjustments to it and say, okay, if you have a repeat of weather patterns that you need to get, that um, the, the industry has to get ready for, for those eventualities. Uh, the colonial one is, is, is a bit of a new one in the sense that uh, it's the first, I think, the first larger scale um, ransom situation where, which could also happen to other key infrastructures and it's just hitting, it's hitting the, the key, it's hitting where it, hit, it hurts the most. And I think, uh, what's the mitigation here? I think there's a risk um, paying it is a risk because paying it would set a precedence for reward uh, to followers. Uh, and as a result, I think you need to be really focusing on that one, what, what can be done, what can be learned from that. So I would say that the two events that we have seen are slightly different in nature. I think the first one you can prepare um, because other countries are very easily able to cope with, with temperature problems and uh, it's more your uh, forecast of the probability of that happening again and, and weather anomalies materializing again. Uh, the other one is a more, becomes almost a philosophical question to me, is whether it is ethically correct. What should you be doing, you know? Should you be paying this and then it will go away and will not come back? Or is it actually setting a precedence uh, that will come back in, 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 in style, much bigger, um, on all the pipelines, on all the infrastructure and, and, and even... I dare to say utility providers, you know, uh, um, um, that could be hitting him more and, and, and harder because at the moment it's gasoline, but it could also be central heating in the middle of winter, you know. You are in Texas and Texas has been kind of exposed to both, uh, both right. these events. So what what do you think? Right. Well, um, the weather, this was, I've been here 30 years and this is the first time that it's been that cold for five straight days. So I'm right there with Florian. I wish everyone was ready for 100 degree weather and minus zero, but that just doesn't make sense. Um, you're not going to put that kind of money in an event that might happen one out of 100 years. It's really, it's really not cost effective. But back to Florian's point of what's going on right now with Colonial, it's a great question. It's the same thing that um, world leaders deal with when um, hostages are taken, right? I mean, obviously, um, in, in a country of 340 million, if five people get taken hostage, that's horrible for 
many reasons, horrible for the family especially, but do you pay to get those five people back? Well, that just incentivizes someone to take another five and another five. Same with this uh, ransom situation. I don't think they should even consider paying. I mean, do you pay and then hopefully find them? Um, perhaps, because you have a lot of um, reasons to have that 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 pipeline back on. Um, I was a natural gas trader as well, and there are four major pipelines that go from Texas up to the Northeast. So it was a little eye-opening to know that Colonial had that large of a market share, 40%. That's just massive. That's just, um, you think of little old ladies um, freezing in the winter or not having AC in the summer. I mean, there are things that you just can't wait on. So I guess you do Florian, to your question, um, I guess sometimes it makes sense to pay it uh, just to, uh, to, to, to keep life uh, comfortable for so many millions. But then again, you're right, it sets a precedent. So I'm on the fence a lot. I could intelligently argue either side, but, but I would hate if we start going to that path of, of paying for such things. You would think that our infrastructure would be set to where um, we could prevent such a thing. And, and maybe, as Florian said, everything's lesson learned. We learn from this. Mm-hmm. And um, and the next, I think, are utilities. What if they turn off a couple nukes? I mean, because um, a pipeline doesn't generate electricity. It gets product to a location to generate it. But you're right. Utilities could be next. I mean, and, and they hit in the heart of winter or heart of the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, cybersecurity is, is a whole whole sort of area in itself, right? And then we've seen, uh, you know, different countries have have seen this and experienced it. The threat to infrastructure, Chinese influence, all those things are, you know, uh, Huawei components in infrastructure, all those things are there. But sort of bringing this discussion a little bit back to to oil and and maybe a more immediate uh, 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 threat. So obviously, if the product isn't getting from A to B, folks are going to deplete storage. Right. And and if, you know, if, if storage goes down, then that has, you know, a kind of an impact on, on the price. So are there are there any, um, you know, are there any kind of short term of impacts on storage, Florian, that that you might find, you know, ping the market one way or another? I think, yeah, ab- absolutely there are. But um, I think this this brings me back to a point that. Um, history has shown that the oil industry is capable of dealing with uh, disruptions, and those can be ranging from. I remember when I was uh, kept really busy when the the war in Libya, civil war, broke out. I think that kept us on our desks glued almost through the night. Um, I think the the oil industry was able to cope with that, and I think the oil industry is actually very savvy. And here is me saying, as a European, uh, something to the US. US has an incredible history of, of engineering genius. And uh, I think um, the, the U.S. always is, uh, you know, when they are when they are down, they have a capability of getting back up on the feet relatively quickly. I think the, the mechanism is in place um, theoretically to balance this out in, in uh, maybe not in the, in the immediate short term that you will have these spikes, but there's already a flotilla of European gasoline cargos coming over. I think there is a discussion that I would like to open also here is, which is a bit harder to understand from a European perspective, is uh, the Jones Act and whether there is a necessity for a Jones Act in a country that is uh, embracing global trade 
um, in all in all commodities, in all substances, in everything. Um, so why should it be not also? Uh, why, why is the Jones Act? Um, it's a bit hard to explain. I know there there are historical reasons for it, and 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 so on. But I think in particular now, I think the latest I read today was that the U.S. government is actually pushing it back to the companies to make a case to open up the Jones Act and, and react upon. But I think those cases show you if you have an integrated global trade, um, actually, it can help out. It can balance out in inefficiencies. It can balance out disruptions. And, and I think that's what is, what is needed here, that you actually can have European gasoline cargos hitting hitting all the whole side of the of the east coast, and also helping to, to mitigate in in the interregional flows, uh, inter inter US flows. So, I think that I, I know we I probably open another can of worms by going from colonial to 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 the Jones Act, but right. I think it it has to be mentioned in in in, in this context that. Uh, Oil, trade, oil trading has shown the capability to overcome obstacles and 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 it takes a bit of time, but uh, where there is a price, the incentive will make it, will make the move. So that's a, a long convoluted answer to your depletion of the stocks because that's actually giving you the the ultimate signal um, that 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 it need the, the the signal and also the incentive um, to the traders to 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 react. Another way to attack that is um, it, it's not right. It's not like there was um, a, an increase of demand in a certain location. It's not like a, a storm hit or a freeze or um, something catastrophic that created extra demand. It's that this was obviously you got a supply issue. So the whole depletion of storage, it, it's it's almost backwards. There's too much supply in one location now because the pipeline's not taking it away. And there's too little supply up in the Northeast because the pipeline's not bringing the product. So um, for net demand, net demand is, is could be flat on the day and you still have two major issues. So I did a little research in the rail cars right now. Um, another 12% came out of storage, the amount of rail cars delivering product from A to B to C. Um, just like trucks, there are only so many trucks. We don't have enough trucks and rail car to replace this pipeline that's flowing so much product. So what it could do in the big picture is obviously everyone knows where oil comes from and everyone knows where it's consumed. It's again, that whole, do you change your mindset of where you keep your supply? Because it, you can't really... Um, forecast an outage of 40% of product not getting from this location to that. So if you're a utility uh, up in the Northeast, you have storage, but you have storage maybe for three days, right? So do you now need to have storage for seven? I don't know. So, and just like this product that's coming out of the ground, the worst thing in the world is to cap a well. You don't want to cap a well if you don't have some place to put it. But right now, you've got those issues. What are you doing with your product right now in the in the South that is expected to be taken by a pipeline? So you're right. This opens all kinds of supply issues. Even if your demand is flat, you're long in one location and short in another. And and we don't have enough infrastructure to get it there. I mean, it's it's supposed to flow via this pipe. Yeah, and you know, as, as as Florian was mentioning, you know, it's the things like the Jones Act, and you know, that just uh, 
Yep. Just, just yep. For, for those for those that don't know, that the Jones Act means that if you're carrying, you know, uh, cargo from a U.S. port to a U.S. port, it needs to be a U.S. ship, manned and crewed and registered in the U.S. Yep. I did learn that in school, and I remember it still, right? So, yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah. So, what that what that means is that obviously you cannot, you know, you the the external market that has a surplus of oil. I mean, Europe has historically had a surplus. You can't immediately go in and 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 um, and you know fulfill that demand because obviously here in the in Europe we we don't have pipeline. I mean, we don't have pipeline trading. We've got pipelines, and obviously they they are state owned and they supply you know sort of sovereigns. But pipeline trading is a particularly you know U.S. Uh, U.S. beast. Leaving the cyber attack aside, because it's a shock. It's a shock to the system and. The market will will adjust one way or another. It always does. I think you made the point. But um, you know, looking at maybe another side of this, where U.S. historically from being an importer has now become a you know kind of number one exporter of of, of oil, um, and, and and maybe soon refined products. So is this? I mean, are there any uh, uh, changes that need in your mind need to be made? the regulatory environment uh, that might be you know you mentioned the Jones Act you know are there any changes that are maybe not compatible with with this so that in case there is a there is a shock to the system that uh, you know uh, the the shock isn't that much or it can be contained yeah um, I think there were two things two things um, were hanging over the U.S. like a, a Damocles sword, where the U.S. export, that's something that on crude oil, that uh, fortunately a couple of years ago uh, got removed. Uh, there are still some constraints on the release of the data around that, um, which are, has also, again, historical reason, goes back to the 20s. But that's okay. I think that has been dealt with, and the U.S. is much more integrated than ever and becoming a, a large contributor to, to global, global trade on the crude oil side. I think the, the, the Jones Act is something which is, is, is something that needs uh, maybe a re- review or reconsideration um, in those exact events. And I think it's right that it has been, so in the, in the trader circuits has been top, uh, one of the top topics right now immediately after the colonial, because... You, you might remember a couple of years ago, there was a big uh, problem in Colonial as well, uh, which many now dig out and uh, to, to run the scenarios and what happened to rack sales along the Colonial up, up into Linden, New Jersey. So what, to understand really what the impact is, how long this could take and, and, and how long it takes to filter through until every retail station in, the, in, in pad one is, is, is getting drained. So uh, that that is uh, actually a, a good case study to dig out. In case you, no one has done it, it's it's a, it's a great one to do. Many do it right now, um, and I think that's that back then the Jones Act already came up. But then the problem got solved, and the Jones Act was stayed. And I think the memory, you know, people moved on to the next topic. But I think that is just a topic that keeps on coming back. Uh, Jones Act. Uh, there are a lot of um, companies that have been advocating for it. So I think that is the that comes to my mind, which would uh, would would need some reconsideration if it if it still makes sense in 2021. Um, and and uh, you know uh, hear all the pros and the cons. So I'm not advocating for a full removal, but I, I say 
create an expert panel, evaluate all the pros and cons, what it does to global trade. And if you have situations like this, um, could could it help that you have a waiver mechanism in place? You know, sure. maybe, maybe you keep it. And you need to create this optionality. And that's what the trader wants to have is the optionality to play around. But if you if you stop some of that optionality to take its full full flavor and its full freedom, then I think you 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 are left with a yeah a, a, a lower um, basket of things to choose from or toolkits to alleviate uh, supply demand imbalance. And I quite like Patrick's observation that this is a supply problem, product supply problem, which is then also creating now in Pass Free in the Gulf Coast actually even. A potential problem for crude demand. You know, it's 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 going back up the the supply chain, the whole thing. True. So, Patrick, you know, as as you're the you're the you're you're the sort of man in the spot. Um, what, what's what are the what impact have you seen? I mean, you recently you recently drove from uh, from from Houston to San Antonio. I mean, did you see any <laughs> any any empty fuel pumps along the way? What's uh, What's the situation no. on the ground, so to speak? I have been at this conference, so I have not seen the news um, in the last three or four hours, but I woke to news saying uh, long lines at the gas station. I mean, um, we in the States, if something happens, we buy toilet paper and we fill up our cars with gas. So, I mean, that's 340 million people and over half of them drive. So if an average of... Every other person owns a car. That's a lot of gas demand. So I'm hearing some have already um, have already gone empty, and 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 that's a concern, right? And just like Florian said, this is uh, the basics: uh, supply demand. Uh, demand is flat location to another. So uh, the South, we have plenty of it, but it's the it's the northern states that are going to be concerned. And the crazy thing is, obviously, this is just. Uh, whatever was flowing up the, the pipeline is the issue, but it affects everything. If it's crude, then it's products. I mean, because it turns into a basket of everything, just like the issue with um, computers and the, the lack of, of chip supply. I mean, everything has a chip nowadays and everything's made from oil. So this could back up all kinds of things, just like the Suez Canal backed up for days. And one thing I was thinking of is the Northeast may have three or four days worth of storage, but as Florian said, there's a flotilla of product coming our way. So maybe what they should consider is how long would it take to get product from Europe or Africa to the Northeast? And maybe now it's no longer, let's be prepared for three days, let's be prepared for eight. So um, okay. a lot yeah. of decisions are going to be made around this, I bet. Just like, just like last summer when... When crude went negative, that opened eyes. This is eye-opening. This is this is life-changing. What would you do? I suppose it's a bit late. It's a bit early to do lessons learned because we don't know what caused it. But how do you prevent this from happening in the future? So yeah, what what I um, I think in one of the best ways to mitigate it is if you if you take out the steam of the story. If now you have the colonial pipeline having a huge effect and, and really you see in the television people in Tennessee and the Virginias, you know, um, queuing up and that's that's giving that's probably giving the wrong sign to, to the next one to try it again. So I think if you keep an efficient supply demand system and an efficient supply chain in place, um, for example, by running more crude in pad one, 
um, bringing over cargoes from European gasoline cargoes of finished grade refined products uh, along the coast help help uh, the international uh, vessels maybe for a Jones Act waiver to alleviate along the coast. So if you bring enough uh, mitigating actions in place that help not to make that to turn it into the huge story that that it it, it is it is a big story. Don't get me wrong, but I think you need to to show that. If there is such a disruption happening, that the the energy market can cope with it, and it's not taking hostage, um, 100%. It's taking hostage to some uh, some amount, but then people will move on and, and find and find a way around it. And I think that's the best sign that you can give whoever is asking for for the ransom now to say, look, um, yeah, you did it, but uh, guess what? We found a way. Uh, we, we found a way around. We found a workaround. And I think that's also. Uh, what I would uh, would see as as the best protection um, from having something something again, having a business continuity plan, having having a, 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 having a, a plan B um, in your drawer already that you can execute upon. And I think the the more uh, the more uh, the world gets beaten up on the supply chain, I think the, the, it shows the importance that we need to have this this plan B. And and, and I think that's that's what I would say put actions in place that buffer off um, uh, the singular events like this one or the freeze-off, that you have a system that can help each other out on a, on a, in a, in a, on a global basis. Sure. Uh, Patrick, uh, do you want to add to that? No, it's very well said. And the very first thing you said, I, I wish I wish news outlets would, would listen to that because obviously the more um, if, if you think it's a, a level seven, then the news is going to show it as a level 12. And that's just what they do. Um, and obviously, it's going to entice others to do the same. Even if it's not um, a dramatic event, the news will make it as such. And this, this obviously was. And I think, again, what you're going to do is if you have a contingency plan for a certain amount of days, you just got to lengthen it. You just have to. I know it's expensive, but um, as he said, if you can't get from this location to that, then the end user just needs more, more supply on hand. Um, and I know that's expensive, and that's just me saying instead of seven tanks, you need 10, but you just do. Um, and maybe you lengthen that term from three days of exposure to seven because you should look at your, your system and say, okay, what if I lose a pipe? What if I lose this? What if I, everything that could affect your business, you should have a, a strong contingency. And I, I know um, companies do that every single day, but it's just clearly um, a lot of things could have been, uh, could have been different. And, and I think you just need to ex, expect uh, what could go wrong and what would you do if it did. And that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. There, aren't enough, there aren't enough rail cars and trucks to, uh, to replace the flow of constant flow from a, a pipeline that large. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's I think I completely agree, agree with, with all the comments. I mean, I'll just add to it that, you know, being in the technology world ourselves, uh, we've got a, we've got a, you know, almost have a wish of making the IT systems a board level priority. And, and the fact is they're not, you know, IT systems, the health of IT systems, the exposure, the vulnerability are not board level topics. Uh, so in that case, it gets relegated to, you know, the, I'm sorry to say the, the, the caricature of the IT administrator in the, in the basement eating Twinkies. Um, so, you know, if, if senior folks, if folks that make decisions know about the threat and, and value the threat, then 
it becomes a part of the it it, it becomes a, a part of the planning. So hopefully that should be a lesson learned. There is the Patrick might might remember that the Northeast Home Heating Oil Reserve, um, which, which which was put in place uh, a long time ago. But uh, I think maybe, maybe, you know, there was a bit of a gravity happening in the years where the pad one refiners were shut down and all the, the, the center of gravity was was put down to, to the US Gulf Coast and uh, it felt that the US Gulf Coast can can be the supply of all of the US. And maybe just this brings back uh, the necessity to have something like an SPR, maybe in the Northeast yep. at, the end, at the end of the... Um, I know it's expensive, but you know this is also what we witness right now is, is also not cheap. So um, you, yeah. need to, you need to take it pro and con. So buffer stock at the end ports um, and SPR style could be one of the longer term uh, discussions. Jones Act could be one of the longer term. Short term means importance of pad one refining comes back again when everyone was shutting down all the refiners in pad one. Maybe now it's the time to. To, to ramp them up again and also get more integrated in the global uh, refined products trade, be it India, um, be it India, uh, Indian exports um, and, uh, and European exports of gasoline to Europe. Well, thank you, Florian Thaler, CEO and co-founder of OilX. And thank you also to Patrick Hayes and Alok Sharma at Inatech for leading a fascinating deep dive on the implications of the colonial pipeline attack and much more. You've been listening to the Smart Trader podcast with me, Gavin Serkin. If you're interested in the topics raised in this podcast, you can get in touch by visiting the Knowledge Hub at inatech.com where you can subscribe for free and do let us know the topics you're interested in for future podcasts. See you next time.